Welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I am Ryan, and today's review episode will be a double header. I went and saw Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk and Bleed for This this weekend, and seeing as though I don't intend to do a statistics episode for either of them, and I don't know that I'll have enough to say about either of them on their own, to stretch out into a full episode, I thought I'd just combine the two. Uh, so, if so, we'll be doing uh, Billy Lynn first and Bleed for This second. And if you are interested in skipping ahead, you can check the show notes to see exactly where the Bleed for This uh, review starts. Um, yeah. Um, First, uh, just a little bit of a check-in to going forward. Uh, this episode is being released on the 23rd of November. And tomorrow's episode is going to be my review of Moana, which I am going to see tonight as of recording this. And I am really excited. I... Ah, uh, man. It... I, I, I think that... Just even if, I don't know, maybe a dozen straight Disney movies came out and they were all awful. Like, just terrible. The next movie, I think I'd still be excited to go see. Like, Disney has ingrained itself in me that much. And I, I'm sure I'm not the only person that this applies to because so many kids and now teenagers and even adults have been brought up through Disney, have been have brought their kids up through Disney and the brand has just become so iconic and relevant to every single person that it, it's really difficult for them to, I guess, uh, you know, lose the, that enthusiasm in their fans, you know? And so, you know, yeah, they do have some misfires here and there, and some movies, some shows, some things don't perform to expectations. But you know, it's just they're just they're just growing bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, like what with Zootopia from earlier this year, uh, and you know, owning Marvel and the rights to all the Marvel films in the MCU. You know, they had Doctor Strange, they had Civil War this year, there was The Jungle Book, live-action film, they have Moana this week, there's still a rogue story to come out in a few weeks from now, Uh, you know, it's just, it's incredible, I, I don't know how anyone expects to keep up at this point, but, I mean, I mean, they're trying, I guess, but... So I, I, I'm just really excited to go see Moana. Really looking forward to it. But without any further ado, let's jump into Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. This is the f- new film from Ang Lee, director of such classics as uh, the 
well, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, you've also got Sense and Sensibility, Brokeback Mountain, Life of Pi. You know, he's got a good, he's got a good resume. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I went into this film, I liked everything he'd made that I'd seen, except for Taking Woodstock, which I felt was really, I, I actually, maybe I don't remember how I felt about it, because it's been so long. But I, I do think that he is a great director, you know, he's won Best Director at the Oscars twice, and been nominated three times. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look forward to everything he puts out. And so I was really interested in Billy Lynn. Um, you know, a few months ago when Buzz was starting to come up around, like, the, the method of filmmaking, the 120 FPS, and, you know, the hyper-realistic filming and, you know, cast details, I... Every new piece of information was like, that's awesome. I want to see that. That's interesting. That is tr pulling me further and further into this film. And as far as the 120 FPS, I, I watched it on like a normal movie screen. So I don't feel as if I got the in fully intended experience. I could notice the increased frame rate if I really focused on it. But generally, it was just so far just not something that I felt necessary to pay close attention to and I find it difficult to believe that that would have you know either improved or diminished my experience with the film I think that while I appreciate you know like I appreciate the way that he's trying to innovate and push filmmaking and, and kind of exceed the boundaries that we've kind of established for making films at, up to this point. But at the same time, you know, I don't think this is the movie for that technique. You know, this, this was no Avatar, right? Like, Avatar came out, introduced this incredibly new incredible new technology like this brilliant looking 3d and you know Cameron came out with new cameras and all this kind of stuff it was a huge success and it was bolstered by you know while in hindsight a very a somewhat formulaic story the visuals overcompensated and the the cast and performances were solid and you know it was able to compensate for its shortcomings billy lynn i feel like isn't able to do that and i think that the biggest reason for that is the central performance of this guy his name is joe alwyn alwyn and you know he's fine he wasn't like bad or anything but i i really just i never felt like he was truly in the film i didn't think that he'd 
you know, like I look at someone like Garrett Headland who plays Dime, uh, the sergeant, I want to say, captain, sergeant uh, of, of Billy Lynn's company. And he was in, you know, he was completely in. Oh, the scene with Tim Blake Nelson was great. I love that, that scene. You know, the, the snappy, sharp, barbed replies that Headland throws at him. I thought that was great. And Headland was really good throughout the whole film, I felt. But Alwyn, I, oh man, I was, he, he just didn't bring the same charisma, the same energy and emotion to the film. And I know that he's kind of, you're like, he's supposed to be suffering from PTSD a little bit. And, you know, you can see elements of it in his performance, but it never completely materialized. It never fully came to the forefront for me. And, you know, his, his name's in the title. You know, he's the main character. Everything revolves around him. So that really causes the film to suffer. But, you know, the, the most of the rest of the cast, you know, Vin Diesel's small performance was fine. Uh, Steve Martin was okay, you know, playing very against type. Uh, you know, I actually really enjoyed Chris Tucker in this. I think he does a good job of being kind of the fast-talking salesman t- kind of role. Um, you know, he's come a long way since The Fifth Element. And then, you know, Kristen Stewart was great. I thought she was really great. Uh, you know, I'd heard talks about her performance from weeks before I'd seen the movie. And I, I didn't don't think it disappointed at all. You know, I would have loved to see more from her. You know, I think she she and um maybe just her. I think I think she and I guess Mackenzie Lee or Lay Lee, who plays uh Faison, who is the uh Dallas cheerleader that Billy Lynn kinda woos, I guess, or woos him. You know, I think the two of them were really good in this movie and didn't really get enough time to shine. So that those were so like the performances are very hit or miss. As far as the story, so this is based on a real thing. And I don't remember this when it happened. I, I don't remember hearing anything about it. I was, you know, in middle school at the time, I guess, but Essentially, it breaks down into the present timeline of Billy Lynn and his company are attending this Dallas football game and are just featured in the halftime show. And that's pretty much all it is. They come out and then they're like set dressing for a Destiny's Child performance. And by the way, they have Destiny's Child perform. Like they show the entire halftime show that involves the company. And they have Destiny's Child perform, but it's not the real Destiny's Child. And now, I don't know if that's because Ang Lee couldn't get the real Destiny's Child. And I'd understand, you know, I'm sure Beyonce is in high demand everywhere. Or if he felt maybe because it's like, I don't know, like 12 years since 
the real thing and that like all of these people are now much older that that would be uh, there would be some dissonance there you know which i understand that line of reasoning as well but for me it was just really difficult to not feel like that was a shortcoming for me uh, you, you just you know the camera makes it so that you're only ever seeing Beyonce from behind you know you never even see her face and you know you've got to imagine that like even if we're looking at this event through the lens of the soldiers a hundred percent they're gonna make eye contact with Beyonce. like they have to right like she dances around them she talks to them they talk to her they want to see her and you know the rest of destiny's child too and yet we never get to see her or them really so that was really bothersome for me and i, I you know like i don't know what you know obviously the solution would have been to just use beyonce like i wouldn't care how much older she is now than she was then I don't think anyone really would because just having the real actual person would have made much more, would have brought about a lot more cohesion to the story. So that's the, like the plot is just them there. And then there's a secondary aspect of them being here in through Chris Tucker's character. And he's trying to get them a, a picture, a movie deal for what they've went through, what they went through. And I don't remember there actually being a story about it. Or movie about it. Uh, so it doesn't seem like... So it seems like based on like the f- evidence in this movie that shows that they didn't sign with anybody. That that's actually what happened. Like they didn't actually get a picture deal out of this thing. But that's kind of the secondary driving plot line. Then you've got the third aspect, which is Kristen Stewart's character. And she plays... Billy Lynn's sister and she has you know medical problems she and so this kind of compounds with the picture deal where he needs the money to pay he wants the money to pay for her surgeries and stuff and um so you know there's a little added extra drama there but that's never played up at all really I think it's mentioned once but that's about it so you know she's kind of just so she's more focused on trying to stop him from going back for another tour in Iraq. And, you know, she calls, like, a psychiatrist who's going to, like, see if he has PTSD and things like that. And that also ends up going nowhere because he ultimately decides to go back for another tour. Which is mind-boggling, you know? Like, and, you know, I've mentioned a few times now that, you know, I'm very not, uh, very against war in general. You know, if I had any choice in the matter, I would not enlist. And if I was forced to enlist and then had any chance to get out of going, I would take it. You know, I... And... You know, Billy Lynn is kind of the exact opposite. You know, he does have a chance to get out, and he says, no, I'm going to go, which is fine thematically and from the story perspective, but I wish we understood better why he was making that decision. You know, 
Is it really a sense of duty to his country? Does he want to avenge um, uh, Vin Diesel's characters, Shroom's death that he witnessed firsthand? You know, Headland's character really plays up the idea that they need him over there. And it would be interesting to see Billy Lynn comment on that in some way. Like, they have to, like, does he really feel like without him, all these people who he's become very close with aren't going to have as great a chance of surviving? Because that would be really compelling. But the movie never touches on those things. So... I would have liked to see a little bit more of an explanation in far, as far as that goes. And then behind all of this plot that we're getting is the actual events that took place during the war that caused this group to be such a story over here in America. You get to see them training... You get to see them uh, engaging with the enemy. Uh, you get to see them fighting. They're in the cars. You know, they're doing all this stuff. And you just get to see them interacting. Um, you know, and this is these are the only scenes where you see Vin Diesel's character. And he kind of felt out of place. You know, he was okay. But it, I don't know. Something, something about him, maybe just like the discrepancy in age or something. I don't know. He just he kind of felt a little out of place in the movie. But these these flashback scenes were interesting and com I won't say compelling, but they were they they did they helped a little bit to kind of flesh out the circumstances and impact the present narrative that was happening. But I don't think they did that enough to warrant how much time they take up in the movie because the one the only scene we re we need like two flashback scenes okay we need a scene to establish the connection between all of these guys back in the war and then we need the final uh confrontation scene where uh billy lynn tries to save vin diesel's character's life and ultimately fails to do so those are the two scenes that really i think matter the most Maybe you can include the kind of heart-to-heart -heart that Vin Diesel and Billy Lynn's characters have. Vin Diesel's character and Billy Lynn have. That one was that was that was pretty good to help establish the connection. But that one again would help to kind of bolster the narrative that Billy Lynn is going back because they need him now because they don't have Shroom anymore and he was a vital part of the team. And Billy Lynn's going to try and step into that position and you know increase their survivability odds so the flashbacks for the most part didn't work for me but there were some good ones that i think again like the narrative structure i think is the it really hurts the film by lacking a direct focus on a lot of the characters motivations and and that's kind of the biggest point about the movie um, yeah, I, I, you know, it wasn't the worst thing ever. It's definitely not an awful movie. It is, 
it is what it is. You know, I, I, There, there's definitely a lot of, you know, misogyny going on, you know, while they're at the football stadium, you know, every chance that they can, they're commenting on the cheerleaders, they're talking about having sex and wanting to have sex and all that kind of stuff. And while I totally believe that that's exactly what was going, they were talking about when it really took place, it did feel like a little much... And then, like, because then you see the contrast between everybody else with Billy Lynn and uh, Faison's sort of blossoming relationship. And that just makes everybody else feel even, like, more disgusting. So, I, I, that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So, I ultimately ended up giving the movie a 31. Um, so, just above the awful threshold of 24 uh, which puts it on par with a short film I saw uh, a couple of weeks ago called The Grandfather Drum which I'm sure no one's heard of it it, it debuted at Sundance um, but puts it to find a movie that makes that's probably more recognizable puts it one point behind Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. And the that one point difference kind of boils down to how Billy Lynn is more of a technical-based film, you know, with the, the special camera work uh, and the flashbacks and the thing you know the sound design like that all that is solid whereas Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles doesn't really have the greatest like design or camera work or anything like that but like it's fun like it's actually an enjoyable movie on some level and that I think is ultimately more important than the technical aspect you know because it also felt like and and I, I I'd be interested to rewatch Billy Lynn in an act with an actual like 120 fps um, real camera thing, however, but I, I it felt like because of the nature of that uh, conceit that it limited Ang Lee's ability to film the way he wanted to. You know, I didn't get a lot... There wasn't a lot of... Uh, you know, like he did such great direction and camera work in Crouching Tiger, in Brokeback, in Life of Pi, but it felt... He felt very kind of... I don't know, like just basic and stationary in this movie. And I'm, I wondered when I was watching it if that was because of the type of camera, like... If it's capturing 120 frames per second, is it limited? Like, can he not, like, run around with it? Can he not do tracking shots and things like that? How slowly does he have to move the camera before things become so unnatural looking? And I might be off base on that, but that's the kind of vibe I got while watching the movie. So, yeah. So that's Billy Lynn, 31 out of 100. Uh, currently ranks as my number seven, 97th film 
uh, from 2016, uh, which puts it above 33 films. So 33 more films than it this year, which is, I don't know, not great, not good, not even decent, but not awful. And that brings us to my second review for the night, for the day, which is Bleed for This. A, so Bleed for This is the new uh, biopic document, biopic uh, about that, oh shoot, the boxer the, um, from Rhode Island, played by Miles Teller, named... Vinny Pazienza, who, and if you've seen any of the trailers, you pretty much know the entire story. He is a successful boxer and, in fact, a two-time world champion who gets in a car accident, breaks his neck, nearly severs his spinal cord, trains himself back into boxing shape, and then fights for... Uh, I think super middleweight belt. I think that's the one he ends up fighting for. He he jumps like three weight classes throughout this course of the film. Uh, trained by um, stereotypical boxing trainer, this time being played by Aaron Eckhart, who's fine but not great. And Miles Teller is good but not great. You know, I don't see I don't see any. Oscar prospects for this movie. I know that they kind of mentioned some. It, it was kind of in talks for a little bit, but I, I don't think it's it's going to match up, really. It, you know, it's a very t- general and typical underdog story, with the caveat that this time in this movie, he starts out on top and. He has to claw his way from literally the very bottom. You know, he, he he can barely move once he gets out of the hospital. You know, he's got this huge halo brace around his head and neck with, like, where this... Just one brush could could just paralyze him for life. You know, that's that's the threat. That's the risk. And I did appreciate that while he does bump his head once or twice while he's in this state, it ne- the movie, and like I don't know how the real life in- uh, events took place, but the movie never approached any of these t- those times with like oh shit like we have to make sure he's not dead, kind of a thing. You know, there was never like a such a close call that like we were hanging our hats up and going home because we thought it's over. You know, he didn't have to come back a second time, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think some films have done that in the past. You know, you have a huge major setback and then you have another set minor setback somewhere later on. And there wasn't really a minor setback in this movie. I think the closest thing to that is when his father played, I thought really well by, uh, Oh, I'm going to butcher his name. Uh, Ciaran Hines. That can't be how it's pronounced. Ciaran Hines. Ciaran Hines. Ciaran is an H sound. Um, 
who, if if you've never really taken the time to to notice, he has, I think, the greatest, like, frown ever. Like, he can turn, like, he can frown at a sharper angle than use any person can smile. You know, like, just the, the level of him able to, like, turn down the sides of his mouth is just inc- crazy. Like, I couldn't stop obsessing over that the whole movie. Because he kind of has that expression the whole movie, as you would expect a father to have with his son in such dire straits. But, yeah, him discovering that Miles Teller is continuing to train after his injury was kind of the only setback we have, but, like, it lasts for, like, three seconds, so I don't really count it as a setback at all. And so the biggest kind of knock against this movie is that it's just formulaic. You know, we've seen this in every Disney sport movie ever, you know, and it... I don't know what there is new in this genre that we can bring to it. Um, You know, we had Creed last year, which wasn't exactly an underdog story. You know, it's tying into the Rocky franchise, and it was more about the personal connection between Stallone and... uh, Oh, what's his name? Oh, I can't think of his name. Oh, the... Black guy from Fantastic Four. Oh, shit. His name is... Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. Ah, oh, damn it. Yeah, the, their, their emotional and, like, sort of parental connection is what drove that film and why I thought it was so good. And there's none of that in this movie. You know, Eckhart is no Stallone... You know, Stallone has been playing this character for, like, 50 years, it seems. And Eckhart steps into this role. He's fine. I think he's a good guy, good actor. But, you know, he doesn't bring anything special to the role. You know, his... You know, his one, you know, offbeat character choice is that he's, like, a drunk. And we've seen that before. And it doesn't really... It doesn't ultimately amount to much of anything, really. Uh, So, yeah, I believe for this, I don't know, I don't have too much more to say about it. Uh, You know, Teller deals with kind of like a rotating carousel of women that kind of attach themselves to him throughout the film. I don't think any of them stay for more than one scene. Which is kind of interesting, because I remember in the trailer that the girl that you see in the first few scenes of the movie where who's kind of with him before he gets in the accident it felt like the trailer played her up to be more of a static role in the movie but that's not what ended up happening so yeah and then like Katie Seagal plays the mom, and her basic defining feature is that she doesn't watch him fight. At, like, 
two out of every three scenes she's in, she's turned away from the TV while, like, her daughters and, like, all these women are watching them, watching him box. Like, that's all she can do is, like, avoid watching him box. And the, the, the payoff for that is that she ends up watching him box in the final fight, which, like, that's not good enough. You know, like, you can't, like, that doesn't, that's not good structure, that's not a good narrative and, and, and writing structure, because, you know, you're not gonna, who cares if she just watches him, like, she needs to be, like, she should have actually, like, gone there, she should have actually, I don't know, it should be much more reactive than that, and I get, I'm sure some of the issues I have with the movie are simply because it's uh, staying close to the source material. It's staying close to what really happened, which is fine. I understand that. I don't know the original story. I because like this took place in like the '90s, I think. If I remember the timestamps correctly, like late '80s, early '90s. So like I was either not born or barely born at the time. So, uh, I don't know, it is just, again, like, this is just another movie that I I think kind of wants to be an Oscar contender, but misses the mark, you know, definitely quite significantly. And so, believe for this, I gave a 42, so that's 11 points better than Billy Lynn, and I think it is... I think it's significantly more of a like enjoyable movie because, as I said, it does have that Disney sports generic plot line, and while that's uninteresting in and of itself, it is an effective storytelling device. You know, you know how it doesn't matter how many times they give us an underdog story, as long as we know we as long as we can see that he's the underdog, that's enough. And you can 100% see that he's the underdog. And, like, the training sequences are all really interesting and, and you know, well well made. You know, I think I think my favorite scene in the movie, he, you know, he, he's already, he's out of the, the halo. He's trying, you know, his, his, Aaron Eckhart has just released video of him training to the media. And the media have now swarmed his uh, his dad's gym where he's training and they're kind of egging him on to spar with someone and Aaron Eckhart starts walking around he's asking all these different people if they'll spar with him nobody wants to because they're afraid he'll like knock his head off and you know he starts and then Miles Teller starts to get like really agitated and he's like doesn't know why people won't spar with him and like that that moment I thought was really good because you know, here's this guy who's literally worked harder than he's ever had in his life to come back from a near, like, career-ending injury. And all of a sudden, you know, this thing that he's worked so hard for, he can't do because no one's willing to to oppose him. You know, like, they mentioned how he won't, no one will fight him in actual match because they don't want to kill him and 
I thought that was I thought that moment that idea was really well portrayed when it came up and yeah that 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 was my favorite moment of the movie so that's bleed for this that was Billy Lynn um you know not much more to say I You know, I you know I mentioned I'm not going to really do a statistics episode for either of them, uh, but you know both movies kind of drag down their entire cast, their entire uh, credited directors and writers as well. So that's just how things go. Sometimes See, they can't all be winners, can they? Um, so. Like I said, this mo- this episode is going to be released on the 23rd. I do have a schedule coming up for all the episodes I'm hoping to be able to record uh, if things happen that get in the way of this. Uh, I will amend them as I see fit. But based on when I'm going to see movies and the holiday week as it is Thanksgiving. Uh, so this is coming out on... Oh, so this this is Thanksgiving now that you're hearing this, if you're listening on the day. Uh, so happy Thanksgiving, everybody! Um, awesome. I didn't even I didn't realize I didn't put two and two together. But uh, oh no, no no no! Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. If you're listening to this today, no, I'm not gonna edit. So tomorrow, so Thanksgiving's episode will be a review of Moana. Uh, Black Friday's episode will be uh, Moana Statistics episode. And then, tentatively, going forward, Saturday will be a review for Allied and Loving. Uh, Sunday should be a review of Sing, which will... uh, Hopefully, I'll be able to get into this uh, an early screening of it. And if that is the case, then since the film doesn't actually come out until mid-December, expect to have a significant chunk of the review to be uh, spoiler-free. There will... And perhaps the whole thing, actually. Probably the whole thing, now that I think about it, um, will be spoiler-free because, you know, I'm not going to try and ruin things for everybody. Uh, And then... If that goes through, the day after that will be a statistics episode for Sing, followed by a review episode for Rules Don't Apply, Warren Beatty's new film. And then we will end November with the November Scavenger Hunt review featuring top tens, uh, biggest surprises, biggest disappointments, things like that. And then the last thing on the slate right now is the 1st of December, which will be my December Scavenger Hunt preview. The list already dropped yesterday, and I took some time earlier this morning to flesh out the movies that I'm going to be watching. I'm really excited for this, and uh, really looking forward to it. So, thank you for listening. If you would like to get a hold of me, you can find any of the contact information in the show notes or at circleoffilm.com. I will be back tomorrow with another episode and until then have a week so long farewell i'll be the same good night come on baby when we paint the town
Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.